Welcome to Fully Vetted, Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. All right, thank you for joining us. My name is Mia Cunningham, and I'm pleased to be joined by attorney Jeffrey Holland. Attorney Holland is slated to speak at the 2024 Midwest Veterinary Conference, and he's going to give us a sneak peek into his sessions. Yes, thank you very much. Absolutely. But before we do that, Attorney Holland, would you mind sharing a bit with our listeners about your background and how you became interested in animal law? Yeah, my name is Jeff Holland, and uh, my, my office is here in uh, Northeast Ohio. Um, I started in, uh, in 1991 doing animal law, and it's almost all we do now. I think that we're the only law firm in Ohio that focuses primarily on, on animal cruelty, animal welfare, uh, doing veterinary issues, anything that relates to, uh, to animal law. Did you just, did you fall into that or was there a particular personal interest for you? Well, I, I will, I'll tell you what, it's, I, I met a girl in law school, first day of law school. (laughs) And, uh, we were going around the table talking about why are you in law school? And, you know, one person wanted to get a lot of money and one person wanted to get into politics and it was getting depressing. (laughs) And we came to this girl and she said, I want to do animal welfare law and I want to make a difference in the world. And I just thought, that is so terrific. Oh, wow. And um, it has been 35 years, and we have four children. <laughs> and we oh, we God. started this law firm, and that's what we do. It's all about a girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you at the Midwest Veterinary Conference. And if you wouldn't mind telling our listeners again just a little bit about your sessions and what they can expect to learn. Yeah. So, I, you know, we've got three, uh, three different sessions that I'm uh, planning on uh, presenting at this time. And the first one is, when does animal ownership change and when do people have the right to say what happens with an animal? So you, you as uh, veterinarians and also people who are involved in, uh, in humane societies and dog wardens and kennel managers and all kinds of people in the animal field, you'll have somebody who brings in an animal and, um, and the question is, they, they, can they surrender it? Can they, um, can they give permission for a certain kind of medical treatment to be given? Can they pick up the animal? Um, what if one of them is taken to the hospital? What if somebody's arrested? What if somebody becomes incompetent? Um, what if they have, they can show you that they have a dog license? A dog license is not per necessarily ownership. So there are all kinds of issues there about when, um, who's the owner, what can you allow somebody to do, and so forth. And when does that change? We're also talking about animal liens. So a, a veterinarian or a kennel manager, if they're not getting paid, they have statutory rights to hang on to the animal and maybe even possess and own and sell the animal or or put the animal down in some circumstances. So a lot of issues having to do with animal ownership. The second issue is going to be livestock animal cruelty investigations. I have prosecuted literally thousands of animal cruelty cases over um, my 30 years, 32 years in this uh, field. We prosecute for, we've prosecuted for more than half of the county humane societies in the state of Ohio. And um, so um, a livestock animal cruelty presents some, some interesting differences because 
you know, we all have dogs and cats. A lot of them, they live in the home. But, um, but you know, livestock, animals that are being raised for food and fiber, um, it's obviously an industry. There's a money-making aspect to it. There are, um, there are actually a, there's actually a constitutional amendment in the state of Ohio, which provides for specific livestock standards. How does that relate to when you're, there's animal cruelty and when this is a, uh, something that might be justifiable or necessary because it's part of an agricultural process? And finally, we have cases coming up all the time on animal cruelty law that are brand new. Some of them haven't happened yet because we are going to be doing this in February. We're going to be keeping up with the latest topics, latest case law, latest um, changes in law up until the date of our presentation in February on animal cruelty topics. So those are the, my presentations for this February. Well, you touched on this a little bit when you talked about, you know, your first presentation in terms of who your target audience would be, but it sounds like that would apply for all of your sessions. So, um, but I guess I don't want to assume. So given, you know, the dynamics of demographics that attend our conference, who do you think would be best suited to attend your sessions? Yeah, um, I think that, that um, veteran, on the livestock animal cruelty investigations, I think that um, th we want people who, there who are veterinarians, vet techs who will be examining these animals. We're going to be talking to those people about what do we need? What kind of a report do you need to write? Um, you know, veterinarians, I think that your training tells you generally that what you're, uh, you're trying to do is you're trying to take an animal that is unhealthy and make it healthy. But in, uh, in an animal cruelty case, you're taking an animal that's unhealthy and from my point of view, I want to know how long has it been in this condition? How long would, would it take? How long might, might it have been for a reasonable person to see that there was a problem here that is untreated? So it's a little bit of a different thinking, and you also need specific language in, in, the, uh, in your documents so that they are going to be acceptable and they're going, to, uh, they're going to be good and powerful for the case. Remember that veterinarians who write good reports the better the report, the stronger the report, the less likely you're going to have to fool around with trial because the other side is going to see this is powerful, we better make a deal. The other person that's uh, important for legal issues on livestock and cruelty investigations are humane officers, police officers, um, dog wardens, people who might get involved in these investigations. And so they'll have a nice little toolkit by the time they leave you. I don't know. I hope. <laughs> I like to be interactive. So anybody who joins the session, the more that it's a conversation, I think the more valuable it will be for you. Now, in case you know anyone would like to get in touch with you after the conference, would you mind sharing your contact information? I'd be happy to do that. My email address is jjholland at hmlawohio.com. And my phone number is 330-239-4480. And we'll be ensured to include those in the show notes. So, Attorney Holland, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you for tuning into the Fully Vetted Podcast brought to you by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. My name is Mia Cunningham, and today I'm pleased to welcome the Director of Community Grants and Initiatives for PetSmart Charities, Kate Atima.
Kate will be speaking in the Shelter Animal One track of program programming at the Midwest Veterinary Conference next year. She, along with her colleague, Dr. Robin James and Heidi Marston, will be covering a variety of topics in the Shelter Animal Medicine track. So we are very grateful to have you. Um, and before we kind of dig into your sessions, you have quite a background. Would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, I spent uh, close to two decades working internationally, working with communities all over the world, helping them uh, devise solutions for humanely managing their dogs and cats. So that encompassed obviously a lot of access to care, but also working one-on-one uh, -on -one with community leaders and pet owners to help them understand why they were having challenges with pets in their communities and how to better manage them. So I think given your background, like it's really no surprise that your sessions are going to focus on, you know, making veterinary care more accessible for vulnerable populations. But I, I am curious, like what sparked this? Like why has this been a passion for you? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think that I have always been really interested in meeting the needs of people who are overlooked and so when I got into the international work, initially it was really looking at populations as a whole, looking at populations of dogs and cats and spaying and neutering. And it became really clear that that wasn't a, a blanket solution that worked everywhere. And so, you know, my perspective of wanting to see what's really going on under the surface led us to digging into communities and individuals and neighborhoods and starting to understand the kinds of conflicts that happen that are very personal and very individual when it comes to pets. And so, you know, bringing that perspective back to focus on the U.S. and Canada, um, it just made so much sense, right? We've got a, a crisis in veterinary care right now. And to look at the individual level and say, you know, this isn't, there's no one blanket solution. We have communities in distress and we have people who are under increasing economic strain and we have systemic issues that affect communities and they affect our pets. And, and so we can't look at this from a blanket solution perspective. So just anecdotally, is there like a memory that you have where there's initiative that you had been working on and had seen it implemented and you saw the rewards of that? Like, is there kind of like a personal story you could share with us? Oh, yeah. Um, there was one when I was working in Indonesia with a team. Um, it was when we were really starting to, to look at going from mass vaccination programs to starting to look at how to help individuals manage their dogs in ways that made the animals healthier and the community safer and happier. And initially when I, I was talking to the team about going and having conversations with people about their pets and, and what they wanted to see, instead of just going in and telling them what they thought they should do, um, they told me that was crazy, that people would never stop and spend time to talk to them about their pets. And I kind of said, you know, well, we'll try it. Let's just try it. It's okay if it doesn't work. And I remember, that conversation and all of the pushback and how much they started to enjoy having those conversations. And I came back and the one vet on the team, when I asked how it was going, she turned green and she said, you know, the problem with this is that in our culture, when you stop to talk to someone, they offer you a cup of coffee. And when we would ask someone a question about their pet, they would get so interested in talking to us and asking questions that their neighbors would come by and then we would have another cup of coffee and then their uncles would come by and we would have another cup of coffee. She was like, I don't even like coffee. And I ended up having the most caffeinated team you've ever met um, because people just didn't want to stop. Once they, once they had an opportunity to ask questions 
and they had an opportunity to solve some of the problems they were seeing, they just, it, they didn't want to stop. And, you know, you would see communities go from just roaming dogs looking really unwell everywhere, not knowing what to do with them, scared of rabies. And when you started talking to them and, and offering support solutions that they could choose for themselves within six months, we saw communities where dogs were looking healthy and staying right at their owner's doorsteps and getting pats as, as people walked in and out. And it just the whole feeling in the community transformed. And it was just such a rewarding thing to see that when you really started to talk to people about what was going on in their lives and with their animals, you could make such a big community-wide difference. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to start from a perspective of just describing why access to veterinary care is a problem and what some of the big drivers are. It's, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a systems problem and it's also a problem for discrete individuals seeking to access care and finding barriers. And so we'll start with really a systemic overview. What are some of the big challenges facing the veterinary industry that affect all of us, professionals in the veterinary industry, right down to pet owners? And what are some of the big solutions that are being worked on that, you know, that people are talking about right now, pros and cons, you know, what are some of the hot topics? Um, and then we're going to go into talking about some of the solutions that we've seen. So what's, what's working well right now in access to care? What are we learning through some of the programs and grant opportunities that PetSmart Charities is running? And then uh, we'll talk a little more about the integration of, of community medicine and shelter medicine. Because they're often conflated and they're they are closely related, of course, but shelter medicine and community medicine are, are different and community medicine is, is starting to look more outside the shelter walls. And so we're going to talk about that movement, why it's important to look outside the shelter walls and see what's going on with the pets in the community before they end up in the shelter and how we're doing that. Um, and then we'll switch gears a little and talk about why it's important to understand where community members are coming from. There's a lot of judgment out there around pet owners and whether they should have pets, whether they should, you know, can afford to have pets and why they can't afford the veterinary care that their pets need. And we come from a perspective that everybody can benefit from having a pet in their lives. And we need to figure out how to reach them where they are and how to support them in that. And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about who owns pets, why those pets are important to them and how we reach out to them and help them stay together as families. Um, and then we'll conclude our day by pulling all of those strands together and thinking about what are the things that individuals can do. You know, not everybody is in a position to impact the entire system, but every veterinarian, whether they be in a private practice or a shelter, has the opportunity to make some small changes. So we're going to walk away, hopefully, with some takeaways for the participants. That had to be very rewarding. So. Thank you for sharing that. And I feel like I could talk to you about stories of what you've experienced for some time. <laughs> um, but we won't, 
<laughs> we won't fall down that rabbit hole for the purposes of the I think it really today, depends on where again, someone thinks they are in their like journey on access to care. If it's, if it's fairly kind of new, overview um, of I would recommend session. coming so the whole day. We'll really, you guys we're will setting be the day conducting six sessions for us taking away um, some more on Saturday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And again, that's going to be in the Shelter Animal Tracker programming. And if you wouldn't mind, could you kind of just give us an overview of what attendees can anticipate by attending these sessions? I want some of the key takeaways maybe for the sheltering or just talk about low-cost care models. Where are those big days? Um, certainly veterinarians, but also uh, practice managers or vet technicians who are interested in thinking more about how they can serve a more diverse array of clients in their communities. I think um, we're going to be providing a, a broad enough overview on the topics that if someone wants to just start thinking about it, they, they would find a lot to take away. Um, but I would also say that veterinarians who are working in private practice and, and particularly veterinarians who are in nonprofit or, sp or spend some time thinking about working for nonprofit or, or charitable care um, would benefit a lot from what, we what we're going to be talking about. Oh, well, it's it's six hours, so it absolutely has to be interactive. Um, I don't think we, we could expect anyone to take away six hours of us lecturing to them, nor do we want to stand and talk for six hours. Um, I think it's so important to hear where people are coming from because they're coming from such different places in this field. You know, if you went straight into private practice and that's been your perspective, you're going to have a different set of challenges than someone who went straight into, say, shelter medicine and is looking to broaden from there into community medicine. Um, so I think it's really important for us to be, be asking questions, providing examples. And then the last session of the day is really designed to be purely interactive. It's an opportunity to put some ideas out there, solicit ideas from the audience and have discussions about some of the innovative opportunities that we have to start changing the system. So do the sessions build upon one another or can they exist independently of each other? Like so should someone attend the whole day of tracker programming and feel like, you know, they've got it all or can they kind of pick and uh, yeah, choose Yeah, I mean, if they, they want, want to find out what PetSmart Charities is doing in advance of sessions, um, we would welcome uh, visiting the PetSmart Charities webpage. Um, it's just PetSmartCharities.org or uh, our Canada is also PetSmartCharities.ca. Um, and we do work across both the U.S. and Canada. Um, and they're also always welcome to contact us, uh, Dr. James or Heidi Marston or me, and reach out to us ahead of time, particularly if they have questions they want us to cover. We really want to make sure that we're reaching the needs of the audience. So absolutely reach out to us. Thank you for making that distinction. I think that's important for people to know. Um, especially as they're planning their days, because, you know, we've only got three days in person. So <laughs> Thank you. It's been really fun. Time. Um, so, you know, our conference right. attracts See a broad then. spectrum of professionals Bye. from the veterinary field. Um, do you have an indication of who might best be suited to attend this? Is it for anyone? Is it just solely for veterinarians? Um, 
Who do you think is the best audience for this? So one of the questions I've been asking all of our facilitators is about the presentation style. So is it interactive? Is it, you know, largely lecture-based? Like what can someone anticipate as they come down and sit to one, in one of your sessions? Awesome. So before I let you go, um, do you have any resources that you can recommend online for people to visit that, to see the work that PetSmart Charities is doing or if they'd like to get in touch with you directly? Um, is there inf information you'd like to share about that? Thank you. And I'll make sure to put that information in our show notes for people to access. So unless there's anything else, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. And we'll look forward to seeing you next year. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye. That's a wrap on today's episode. Special thanks to today's guest for joining us on the show. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. As always, please feel free to visit fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to follow Fully Vetted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like the show? Please submit a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners like you. Until next time, stay safe and be well.